Good morning. It's, uh, it's good to be here with you. I, so a couple of, of new things for me. Um, I've never given a sermon, the same sermon twice. Uh, and I'm not sure if it's going to happen today. I don't know. Um, and so we're, we're going to go through the same slides. Um, but yeah, this is a little bit of a new experience. So, and the other thing is, for, for two years now, I was actually supposed to make it speak at the men's retreat. Um, the first one... I was actually just crossed the border and my father-in-law died, so I came home. And this past one, somehow I got pneumonia and I had some, it was, it was like terrible. So the good news is that I'm, I'm going to speak today. We're going we're gonna to cover that topic. Um, the bad news is I was prepped for two hours. So um, <laughs> if you got lunch plans, tough luck. No, just kidding. It, uh, but it, it was. It was supposed to be about three different sections that we were going to build on as we went through the weekend. And we're, we're going to try to do it in 48 minutes, or 38 at this point. Um, so we're, we're going to try to roll through it here. But uh, to, to get us started, let, let me pray. Um, and we'll, we'll dedicate the time to the God. So, Lord God, come before you in Jesus' name. Uh, Lord, I thank you and praise you uh, for today. Thank you for some moisture. Um, Lord, we thank you for your son. We thank you for a place that we can worship. Um, Lord, we do thank you for, for some of the victories this week. Um, Lord, we also pray for the trials that are going on around us. Um, and Lord, we do pray uh, that we would look like you. And we pray that you would bless this time. Uh, consecrate it to yourself and let, uh, let your ways be known. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So th- this, is, this is the beauty of like, this could be a one and done for me. You know, like they trust you once because all the other pastors leave. And, and they're like, hey. See what you can do, right? But um, so in, the, in that moment, you sit here and you go, well, what might be the best thing I can offer, right? And, and, and that's what I'm going to discuss. Um, there's, in my life, I'll share maybe some stories with you, um, but there's a flow of Scripture um, that is foundational to everything that I believe, and it actually changed me to, to understand more clearly what God is doing and why He's doing it. Um, and that's what we're going to go over today. Um, the, the passage of Scripture is actually in Exodus, but we're actually going to start in Matthew 9. So in this, uh, in Matthew 9, it's verses 12, 12 through 13, 12 and 13. We'll see if we can pull it. But go ahead and turn with me to Matthew 9, um, verses 12 and 13. All right, so... What we have here is, is Jesus is hanging out with a set of sinners. Um, he is currently um, sitting at a table eating with them. Some people question him on this. And Jesus says in Matthew 12, but when Jesus heard this, sorry, in Matthew 12, it starts, but when Jesus heard this, he said, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous but sinners. Um, pretty common passage. You've, you've probably heard it. Um, it's actually quoted, the, the part we're going to focus on is, I desire compassion and not sacrifice. Um, it's actually quoted out of Hosea 6.6. 6. Um, if you wanted to look it up, that's, that's where Jesus quotes it from. But the backdrop of this verse actually stretches clear back um, into Exodus. And we're going to specifically be looking at Exodus 34.6. Um, so, a- as we get here, here's what I want you to understand. There, there's different ways throughout Scripture 
especially in the Old Testament, where God is trying to reveal who Christ is, okay? These would be things, um, we call them types and shadows, right? Abraham and Isaac would be one. The Passover lamb would be another one. Um, Then there's prophecy. So, So God is consistently trying throughout the Old Testament to point towards Jesus Christ. And, and we'll, we'll cover that in a, in a diagram here a little bit later. But one of the things that he also does is this set of verses. This is called the Derekim, is what it is. It means the ways, okay? It's a phenomenal set of verses here, okay? So to set this up, at the end of Exodus 33, God tells Moses, you know, hey, come back up on the mountain, stuff like this. Um, come up, see me. And Moses says, who are you? Pretty simple question. But he says, who are you? Okay? He said, look, you've, you've led us around. You've shown us your power. But who are you? And so God tells him in Exodus 34, at the beginning, he says, hey, I want you to actually come up on the mountain by yourself. Okay? And then God walks in front of him. And as he walks in front of him, we end up with Exodus 34, 6. And I'm going to read it off the back screen. But it says, then the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, the Lord the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps forgiveness for our thousands and who forgives iniquity and transgressions and sin. Okay? It's great. Here's what this is. This is God declaring his character. This is God saying, this is who I am. So as you and I think about ways, when somebody comes up to us, if, if I were to like give you my driver's license right? You would see on there like six foot, 255, brown hair, what's left, brown eyes, born in 1984, right? That is a representation of me. And there are words that are representations of me. But if you were to come to my house and watch me and the girls interact, or you were to watch me go do something, right? You would begin to understand more of who I am and who my character is and how I'm motivated. And that's what this passage is. And so I, I want you to think of, of all the words you've used or have heard or people use to describe God, right? They're good. They're great words. Omnipotent, omniscient, like some of these bigger words. But what's unique about this passage is that these words are incredibly relational. And these words are words that you and I can re- like feel, touch, understand, right? We can build a relationship around compassion, we can build a relationship around long-suffering. Like, that's just what we do. And it's not just that it appears here. This is actually a very common theme as you go through. So loving kindness in Exodus 34, 6 is actually the, the uh, Hebrew word hesed, H-E-S-E-D, okay? It's hesed. It's used 250 times in the Old Testament, actually. It's used as the one of the main character traits of God as we trace it through Scripture. And we're going to track some of that stuff now. But understand what we're trying to do is we're building the character of God, okay? And I'll explain to you as we go why this is so important to me and what it actually did to me. But to know who He is directly affects who I am, and we'll go through that. So let's go to uh, Nehemiah 9, I do believe is our next one. So here we go. We're going to track 
this, this compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth through Scripture, okay? Nehemiah 9. So we start in the beginning of this chapter, all the people are gathered together for a tremendous confession. They've been walking away from God. Nehemiah has called them back. We have Nehemiah 9, in which they are coming together to repent. Then we start a prayer, uh, roughly like Nehemiah, I think, 7 or 8, and this is in the middle of it. But they, our fathers, acted arrogantly. They became stubborn and would not listen to your commandments. They refused to listen and did not remember your wonderful deeds which you had performed among them. So they became stubborn and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God of forgiveness, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. Okay? See, the people who interact with God in the Old Testament consistently will use a phrase like this. Let's go to actually to Psalm 103. So this is David's psalm. Um, this is, um, there's a lot more to this, but here's a snippet for you. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel. So we'll stop there. He made, way his, or made known his ways to Moses. This is what we're talking about, okay? Then his acts to the nations of Israel. So if you want to know my ways, you would know how I think and how I'm compelled and how I interact with you. And from that, you would begin to make sense of my actions. It's the exact same way here. He made his ways known to Moses, his acts to the nation of Israel. And then it says the Lord is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness, and he will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever, right? This is David describing him. Furthermore, if you were to actually go into 2 Samuel 9, you're going to find the story of Mephibosheth, right? The guy with the great name and bad legs, okay? This was a guy that fell as he was leaving the, uh, leaving the castle, um, Saul's, I think, uh, Saul's child. And David says in the early parts of 2 Samuel 9, he says, is there a relative of Saul's whom I can show Hesed to, right? He specifically in that recounts, God has shown me Hesed, I want to show Hesed, right? So he brings in Mephibosheth, there's this big meal, he restores his land to him. I mean, Mephibosheth is obviously coming in there thinking he's going to kill me, right? I've escaped this long, but he shows him hesed, okay? It, it, is, it is the character trait of God that begins to flow through Scripture. Um, we see a contrary usage of it in Jonah 4. I think that should be our next one that's up there. So Jonah 4, um, right? We have Jonah, hey, you're supposed to go um, tell Nineveh 40 days, repent, or you'll be destroyed. He decides to jump in a boat, right? Get swallowed by a whale, get spit back up on a whale, or get spit back up on the beach, once he's back up on the beach, he heads to Nineveh and he preaches. And what do the people do? They repent. And Jonah decides in Jonah chapter 4 to go mope about this situation. Specifically, I'm going to use verse 2. He then prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a God of great, you are gracious and compassionate God slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Jonah's sitting here legitimately going, 40 days and Nineveh's dead. 
and he's going, let's see if I can wait it out, right? Come on, day 41, right? He doesn't want to go because he understands something inherent about God, and it's God's character. He inherently knows this is how my God thinks, okay? So, jumping ahead now, and, and there's others that are in there. Um, anyway, I would encourage you to look it up as you tra- trace them out through Scripture, but here's what happens. John 1, right? So, I'm going to jump you into the New Testament now. So, this flows through Scripture. I told you 250 times or a little bit more that Hesed's going to apply in Scripture, and then John 1 happens. It's this tremendous monologue that he walks through, and he starts listing off you know, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He came to his own and his own did not understand him. So you have all the Old Testament building up of who is God, and we'll go over that a little bit more. But then it gets to verse 17, and it makes a really interesting statement pertaining to what we're talking about. It says, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Okay, here's where it gets fun. Grace and truth in this passage is the parallel of loving kindness and faithfulness. Okay, so if you trace the words Greek through the Septuagint into the Hebrew, what you're going to find is the character of God, those last words, it's actually Hesed and Amet in the Hebrew, those last two words become grace and truth. Okay? Now, we don't have a good translation for hesed. Okay? So, when we look at compassion, I said you guys early on that Matthew 9 passage, I desire compassion and not sacrifice. Right? Why that passage is so critical is because that elios, which we translate as compassion, actually goes back to hesed. Right? So, when we have this, he has shown up right? He's now here. It is this building of character of God saying, this is who I am throughout time, right? And there's multiple other ways he does this through types, through shadows, through prophecy. He's constantly prepping us to understand who Jesus is going to be when he gets there, right? This is what's coming. And then the law is given through Moses, but grace and truth, the character of God is now realized through Jesus Christ, grace and truth, right? Then he goes on to explain it. He said, no one has seen God at any time. You haven't seen him. But he who's in the bosom of the Father, he's explained him, okay? The best way, and this isn't, I'm not a scholar of the Greek, the best way I can do this, <laughs> use this with the first service, is imagine a pencil sharpener, right? Like if I look at a pencil sharpener, I know what it's useful for, I know it's there. But if I take, and then an engineer were to take that, and expand it into a drawing to where not only do I know that it's a pencil sharpener, but I understand what that part does and what that, what that part does and why that one even exists there and why do they have that funny piece there. That's the picture of he has explained him, okay? It's taken and shown him for what he is. Jesus Christ, as he walked among us, is the explanation of the character of God. Hebrews 1 will actually help us out with this a little bit more if we jump there. This is just Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. 
For God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom, we have, through whom he has made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. Two key phrases there at the end. Radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. It's kind of fun when you think about the radiance of his glory. How many of you guys, well, not today, a little cloudy. How many of you guys interacted with nuclear fusion yesterday? Right? Like you don't, like, okay, but you interacted with sunlight. Does that make sense? Jesus Christ is that. I'm not saying when, I, when I'm talking to you about his character, I'm not saying that there's not more. There's things I can't even find words for to describe him. There's things we can't even comprehend. But what I know is that he's compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth. And when he decided to manifest and walk among us, it was Jesus. Jesus was the embodiment of that which he's telling us over time. He's the radiance of that. And then there is the exact representation of his nature. He is the one that when you and I sit here and say, who is God? How do I interact with God? It's Jesus. Not saying that there's not a ton more. But the simple answer to that question is, it's Jesus. It's absolutely Jesus. And here's why this is so transformational to me. Jump to Matthew 9 one more time. So Jesus is sitting among a group of people that are broken and that are hurting. And a religious group of people came in here and they said, what are you doing? What are you doing? And he says, go and learn this. I desire compassion, the character traits of God, right? I desire you to look like God more than sacrifice. Throughout the whole of the Old Testament, sacrifice is a good thing. We know consistently it doesn't completely please God. We can find that Isaiah 1, Isaiah 58. We know that it's not the completeness. But Jesus directly says, I want you to think about the character of God. I want you to embody that more than I want you to do any religious activity. Right? To put it in our vernacular today... I'm glad you're here. I'm, I'm really glad you're here. And to the people that are working out front, glad they're here too, right? It would be better for you to look like Jesus than any presence you could bring here. It would be better for you to have the character of God within you than to do any of these practical things that we do. That's what he wants from us. That's what he's looking for, okay? So then we transition. As uh, let me. So we built this Old Testament. This is who the character of God is. It's fully revealed in Jesus Christ. Okay? Jesus does this interaction, and then he transitions. And I threw Luke 1 up here instead of Matthew 28, just so we can look at it. But he commissions us to go out. I said we should have a slide, Acts 1, 7 through 8. Go with me to Acts 1 if you don't. Oh, there we go. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power and the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Right? 
And we have that. And, and, and we know that verse. But the reality of what happens is when we put it in the context of God consistently revealing His character throughout Scripture, you and I become the agent at this point in which the character of God now gets to be known, right? You can track this as the image of God throughout Scripture. I'll throw those up a little bit later too. But what we have is understand, He's telling us who His character is. He's showing us in different ways through the Old Testament what He's like, who He is, why He does what He does. Then we encounter Christ, who is the embodiment of that character that He's been discussing, and now we see Him as He is. He walks among us, He teaches, He shows us different things, and then He says, I'm going. And now it's your job. Now it's mine, right? He said, you will become my witness. This character that he is building through all of Scripture, it's the image of God. It's the things that we're to attest to. So here's why this mattered to me so much, okay? It's a pivotal point uh, in my life. I was, uh, I think I was a junior in college. I went to an unreached people group. Um, we would get picked up by Russian taxis and shuffled out into a village. None of us spoke Russian. Um, so we'd get picked up, uh, we'd load up in a bus, We'd pay the taxi driver and hope he came back, like we paid him for the pickup trip, hoping he'd come back. They all did. Um, but we would go to these villages that never had the gospel there before. Buryat, Yakut people uh, is who they are. Um, and, and their village just has the sewer that drains into the middle of the street. Okay? It's kind of not normal American traditions around here. It had obviously just rained. It had to for this story to work properly, Right? And I am walking down, and I am actually in charge of passing out the gospel tracts to these people. Okay? There's a house, and I don't remember, it was middle of the day. There's a house that separates, that is separated from me in the middle of the road by about 10 foot of sewage. All right? It's just, it's just not fun. And I will tell you that I had on a pretty nice pair of hiking boots. I had bought a new pair of hiking boots knowing we were going to unreached people groups. And I made a call at that point. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to risk them. Right? And I got about 10 steps past that house. And I just got broken over this. When my God looks upon me, it's with compassion. When I looked upon that person, it was a matter of religious duty. It was a matter of convenience. And I died a little bit that day, right? We all have to die every day. But here's what happens. When we begin to understand who he is, it inherently flows into what he requires of me. And that's what happens here. You see, tracking his character through Scripture, we now all of a sudden come to this pivot point where I have a choice to make. I can say that's a fantastic story. I can say I want to be intellectually aware of it and knowledgeable of it, but do I actually, actually want to bear His image? Do I actually want that character to be mine? 
And for 10 steps, the answer was no. It was really clear. It was a no from me. But then he hit me. Okay? There's a graphic I'm going to show you next. This is the story of history. Okay? We start at creation, obviously the timeline, and you see the church age over on the right. And what you have is there's this period of old time where we are consistently trying and groping in the dark, and as, the, like, as we read, we are trying, but the nation of Israel is groping in the dark. Who is the Messiah? This is where we see the types of Christ, right? Things like Abraham and Isaac, and who shut the door on the ark, right? Well, it was God shutting them up to save them, Okay? It's snakes, Numbers 21, right? It's the serpent lifted up in the middle of the wilderness. God is consistently saying, I am revealing who Christ is going to be. Then we hit this break 400 years before he shows up, and it's silent. There's nothing. The people are chaos. They're lost. There's no prophets to be heard. And then he appears, right? So that which was the buildup, this is what he's going to look like. He gets inserted into history. He being Jesus, he comes as the incarnation, he steps out among us, and all of a sudden, we behold him. We can see him, we can interact with him. And John makes this goofy statement that he came to his own and his own did not recognize him. Those that were his, those that should know this, did not recognize them, did not recognize him. So he comes, he lives among us, and then he leaves And he leaves you and I in charge of this flow of history. You and I have a call, and we have this understanding within us as you become a believer and as you grow, that the character of God is to be revealed, and it's to be known. And that's why we're in turn called to go. So, so what does this practically look like, though, right? What, what is it to take his character and say that now it's my job as a believer empowered by the Holy Spirit to represent him? Well, I grabbed some passages, not, not grabbed intentionally, I did this. Ephesians 5, 22 through some of 6. Here's what you have. We have this reference where it's wives be submitted to husband as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ, right? It's this picture that you and I are beginning to build and that we're entrusted with. That, so my wife's name is Courtney, okay? The thing that Courtney most desperately needs from me is the character in a portrait of Jesus Christ. That's what I'm called to do. Okay? The thing I most desperately need from her in our marriage is the same. Right? We, we should be two people competing to bear the image of Jesus better than the other in our marriage. We're not great at it. And we'll talk about what to do when we're not great at it. But this is now the standard, and this is now the challenge that you and I get. And we'll talk about none of us are good at it. None of us are, or maybe some of us are better, whatever. But like we all fall short of it. And so we're going to talk. This is still good. It's still good to know the character of God. It's still good 
to pursue that and to understand it. And we'll discuss why. But it goes on further in 6.1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, right? Then we get into slaves, masters, that relationship. A slave is supposed to work as unto the Lord, right? Master in the same manner. So we have this picture just embodied in Ephesians 5.1 that starts this passage and this flow actually says that you and I are to become mimickers of Christ. We're to become imitators of Christ. We're to mimic that which we saw. These are the practical outflows of it. Two more verses that we're going to throw up there before we keep moving on here. Um, 1 John 3.2. Beloved, now we are children of God, and as it has not yet appeared what we will be, we know that when He appears, we'll be like Him, because we'll see Him just as He is. Here's the reality of this verse. The more that you and I see Him, the more that we become like Him. Are we ever going to be 100% like Him on this side? No, it's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is, as you encounter Him, as you interact with Him, as you go through Scripture, the more that you see of Him, the more you'll be like Him. The same is true of worship, which we'll discuss a little bit later too. That which you worship, that which you adore, that which you focus on, you'll be like it. It's just the state of being a human. The more that I see him, the more that I'll be like him, because I'll see him just as he is, right? The fun part of where it starts there is when I see him as he is. See, you and I can have this thing of, I know who Jesus is, right? I can tell you a story. I can, I can, I can tell you all the theological things, or I could, whatever you want to say, right? Like I know of him. But do you see him as he is? Do you see him clearly from his character? that tracks all the way through Scripture. Last verse I want to discuss is Colossians 3.10. And having put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. You see, you and I are being transformed. We're being changed. And that change that is happening is according to the true knowledge of the one who created us. It's in his image. What I'm telling you now is that that image, I want you to like bring into your context, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth. It's the flow through which Jesus Christ begins to be revealed. So what's the implications of this? I told you this was meant for more for a devotional for a group of guys on a retreat, but what is the implication of this? And I, I just have two of them, okay? Number one this is uniquely yours. And, and what I mean by that is, all of us are here in grace. Grace as a body cannot be compassionate. You have to be compassionate. Grace as a body cannot reach Newton, right? Grace is an entity. It's an association. It doesn't have the personal like ability to reach Newton. It's the people. 
See, when God established his character, not when he established, when God revealed his character, excuse me, when God revealed his character, he revealed it in uniquely human ways. And you and I are to do the exact same thing. We cannot sit idly by and assume we're a part of something when in reality it's not true of us individually. Does that make sense? See, the image of God is not born by us, it's born by me, and it's born by you. You're the one who goes out and bears that image, okay? 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 13, this is, uh, it's just a passage talking about obviously the foundation that is laid that we're going to be talking about is the gospel, excuse me, it's the gospel. Now, if any man builds on that foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. We can do it together. We can pool resources, right? We can encourage each other. We can hold each other accountable. But be clear, your call to bear the image of God is yours, okay? Second thing is to actually, like, I say you're you're always teaching, you're always modeling, right? You're always bearing an image, particularly parents, grandparents, anybody in leadership, this is true of you. And when you claim, I am, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, you are constantly teaching. You're constantly modeling. You're constantly acting as a role model. And it's a great thing. You're bearing an image of the one you say that you worship, okay? Two areas in this. This is where when we hold that standard of bearing an image, This is where, like, when we fall short, this is where confession becomes so powerful. And I'll use a personal example from our family. Um, I I have a conversation with my daughters. Uh, So I have six daughters. Um, Two of them are just five months old, so I don't talk to them much. Um, But the older four, um, I I will consistently ask them, where have I failed you? What have I done wrong? Right? Like, interact with me. What, what are the things that, like, I messed up on or I didn't, didn't hold my word? And they'll bring them up. Like, one of them was like, you didn't super glue the medallion on my sandal like you said you would. You're right. You're right. Like, not a big thing at the time to me. Like, I put it out of my head. But here's what happens. As soon as I confess that, what I essentially say is, here's the standard I fell short of it. Forgive me, but the standard is still good. Right? I'm supposed to be modeling Christ likeness for my kids. I would love nothing more than when my girls grow up, they can sit here and say, Man, I know how to follow Jesus. I followed my dad. That'd be amazing. Right? And the way that I can do that in my brokenness is to every time that I can, with knowledge, if I have fallen short, remind them the standard, it's still good. It's still good. And I fall short of it, but the standard's good, right? We can hold this tension within us that Christ's likeness is wonderful and to be desired and His character is good, and I fall short of it, but I can still recognize it as that which I desire to achieve. The other piece is to watch your affections, 
Okay? The next slide, go ahead and go to it. But what we have, I have two things. Those who make them will become like them, everyone who trusts in them. This is a psalm that talks about idolatry. Here's the truth about you and I, and I mentioned it. We become what we adore. We become what we adore. Even to the point, if your God is judgmental, cranky, and just waiting to put the hammer down on you, you will become like that, right? If your God doesn't hold a standard, if He doesn't, if he doesn't actually fight for justice and seek what's right, you'll become very loose with your standards. We become what we adore, and I th- adore, and I threw a Ralph Waldo Emerson quote. Just at the end, it says, therefore, it behooves us to be careful what we worship. For what we're worshiping, we are becoming. You see, Throughout all the scripture, God starts revealing his character to us. He then manifests it completely in Jesus Christ. And then he entrusts you and I to go and do similar. See, you and I are supposed to go out and bear that character of his that the world may see. I'm going to finish right now with Exodus 34, 6, just because I want you to chase it. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgressions, and sins. Okay? Now, here's the part that I couldn't get into because we have so much. I have to get brevity to it. It's going to go on to say, and doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. Right? He's going through. This is the set of character traits that describe God. And following this in verse 7 and beyond is the, how his character functions as a wedge as it goes through society. And that wedge is visiting the iniquity on the fathers to the children of third and fourth generation, but blessings to those for a thousand who follow him. This is, this is so deep, so wide. Please don't think that this is a theological discussion that I'm having with you. This is a, a, a flow of Scripture. This is an understanding how the character of God flows, culminates in Jesus Christ. You and I are now tasked to go forth and carry that on. So, let me pray. Lord God, come before you in Jesus' name. Lord, thank you and praise you so much um, for how you've revealed yourself. Thank you so much for your son. Uh, Lord, thank you for his, his death, his burial, his resurrection. Uh, Lord, I do pray that we would be a people who live in light of that. I pray that we would be people, a people who love your character. Uh, and Lord, that we would be a people uh, who function in this world in a way that you would recognize. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, Andrew, for sharing with us today. You can never go wrong with knowing who Jesus is. That's right. Give him a hand. We can never go wrong knowing who Jesus is and then being like him. And that is what we hope you do as we go out today, uh, as we seek to love people and uh, love God on our way out. We're going to stand up and do our full sending together because we haven't done that in a while. You want to stand with me? We'll say it together. We have been motivated by the love God has shown us in Christ. We have been united in our worship of the living God together. 
We have been encouraged by our fellowship with one another, and we have been equipped by the preaching of God's word. Now go in the power of the Holy Spirit. In all that you do, love God boldly. In whatever family, whatever neighborhood, whatever workplace, whatever school God has placed you, love people sacrificially. In whatever stage of life you find yourself, look for opportunities to faithfully lead others to do the same. We are the church. Now go be the church. Grace, we are sent.